just before we start the show, I want to take an opportunity to invite you to join me for the Podfluence Weekly Newsletter, which is available both on LinkedIn and through the official newsletter channel. Now, if you are on LinkedIn and it's easier for you to follow there, then please just click on the link in the show notes, which will take you straight to Podfluence on LinkedIn, where you can subscribe for free and get weekly updates on Podfluence articles as well as episodes. If you would like to subscribe to the full newsletter where you'll get additional materials and, as my little incentive to you, my pre-podcast guest checklist for you to use when you're appearing on podcast shows so that you can be fully prepared every single time, then please click the link to the official newsletter in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to the Present Influence Podcast. This week, I have a very special guest, Ryan Nadus, who is going to be talking to us about how he cheated his way to success and some other things in, in addition to that as well. And so let me introduce Ryan, first of all, by saying that he started, with, started his business with nothing but a ton of student debt and a refusal to quit and created success in car sales and is now a very successful real estate investor in the US with a passion to inspire. Not here selling anything or to raise any money on the call, just here because he has a mission to inspire others to create success in their own lives and follow their dreams. So welcome, Ryan. I am absolutely honored to be here and excited. It's great to have you. And I really enjoyed uh, the time we had to chat before before we got to record the interview together as well. And so I've been looking forward to getting to have this conversation. And we, at that time, we spoke a little bit about the, uh, it was maybe a bit misleading, but I mean, how you cheated your way to success in, in a good way. Can you, can you right. tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so I like to say that because it's it's attention grabbing, right? Uh, but but the truth of the matter is, it's I, I like to call it the one percent rule. So if you want to be one percent wealthy in your life, you need to provide one percent something, one percent intelligence, or one percent ability to work hard, or one percent talent at something. And if you're like me, you're not one percent in anything. I'd like to think I'm smart and hardworking, but the truth is I'm not even close to 1% smart or 1% hardworking. And what it kind of made me realize is if I'm not going to outsmart or use my intelligence in a way that others, in, in a conventional sense, then what is, what is my other option to become 1% wealthy? Well, be 1% willing to do what others aren't. And that is, so I like to call, I like to joke, oh, hey, I cheated my way there. But truth is, I was really clever and was really willing to make sacrifices and do things others weren't. So really, you know, I, like I said, jokes aside, what I've been able to do to find success is to, is to really look hard and look different and be willing to do things and see things others either can't or won't see and won't do. When, when we first spoke, you, you mentioned to me about how you got started in the, the car industry and, and what helped you stand out above other people uh, who were in the industry with you. Can, can you tell our audience here about that? Yes, so I had the wonderful fortune of graduating from university in 2009 right after we watched the entire world economy 
basically die. And so there, and I really wanted, I, I, it's in my blood to be a salesperson and I really wanted business to business sales. And there, as you could imagine, were no opportunities. And so rather than sit around feeling sorry for myself because every job wanted, they didn't want a new guy to take a chance on, right? They wanted someone who was going to come in in a bad economy and be effective immediately. They didn't want to wait you know, for someone to develop to may or may not be effective in five years. They wanted someone now. And I went, I, I want to, I'm an adult now. I need to make money now. And so I ended up going to the car sales because my former karate instructor was a manager there. And I remember when I started car sales, I went, you know what? I didn't go to Wake Forest University, uh, my alma mater, to go into car sales. But I also didn't go to Wake Forest University to then go and sit in my mom's basement after graduating. And I'm not one to make excuses and play the victim. I'm, I'm saying, you know what? Life didn't hand me uh, a hand, uh, to use a poker term. Didn't, I didn't get dealt a hand that was favorable out of the gate. But hey, look, I can't hit reshuffle the deck. I, I need to play this hand somehow. And so I remember going to the car dealership and going, Everyone's going to think I'm a scummy car salesman. So I have two choices. I can either be a scummy car salesman or I can do it the right way and treat it the way I would have if I got into business to business sales, which is what I wanted to do. And one of two things is going to happen. It's either the whole system is going to implode or it's going to work. And so I have a psychology, coming out of undergrad, I had a psych major, psychology major and a statistics minor. If you've ever read the book Moneyball uh, and the, and, or seen the movie with, what is it, Jonah Hill and Brad Pitt, basically the gist is <clears throat> they, they were the Oakland Athletics and they had a $30 million budget to buy really good players. And they're competing against the Yankees who have a $300 million budget to buy players. So they needed to do something different because they couldn't compete com conventionally. So I realized, hey, look, if I don't – if I can't compete conventionally in this space – and I need to be effective immediately because it's commission only. What can I do? And so I said, why don't I start tracking my statistics? And what I basically did was gather my own data. I picked up books. I cornered my managers and asked them questions. And I basically drilled down using multivariate regressions to figure out the money ball statistics for car sales, which turns out to be the write-up part of the funnel, sales funnel, right? So in other words, in car sales, you have your initial phone call or your initial meeting, which they call an up. And once you up someone, then you do what you can to get them to demo. In other words, take a test drive. And then the next part is what's called a write-up phase, which is sitting down and talking numbers with them. And then from there, you close and then go to the finance office and then hopefully drive away happy. Well, what I figured out is there's maybe like maybe like a 25% chance best case scenario you sell someone if they don't take a test drive. Then a test drive was maybe a 50-50 flip, a little bit less than that really. But if you got someone to sit down and look at numbers with you, the closing percentage jumped over 60%. And when I saw that, I went, I need to focus all of my training around getting people to sit down and look at numbers with me. And that needs to be my 100% focus. Great. And with, in my first full year of, of fiscal year of selling cars, I ended up selling like 240 cars and I hit Honda's highest award, which is the gold award. 
basically right out of the gate because I cheated. And it wasn't really cheating. <laughs> I was looking at it differently. How did you get yeah. to look at the numbers with you? What was your technique for that? So, so when someone would say something along the lines of, oh, I got to go think about it, or I got to call my wife or insert random excuse, I would say, in so many words, listen, I, you know, I understand that you're not buying today. However, why don't we go ahead and give you all the information here? Let's save you time. That's a, that was just a, a wonderful thing to say. Let's go ahead and save you some time. Give me 15 minutes and let's have you take a look at numbers and make sure this is in the budget and make sure this still makes the list. Oh, I got to look at a Toyota too. I sold Hondas. Oh, I got to go look at a Toyota. Great. Let's make sure that when you're going to look at the Toyota, you know what numbers so you can compare apples to apples, right? So in other words, you just, you just find whatever their hop on is. Look, I'm going to save you time. Why don't we go ahead and look at your trade? Let's get a rough idea of what that's worth while you're here, while you're already here, right? And so folks are like, hmm, I guess I have another couple minutes. Yeah, sure, why not? And then you, it's like that objection is just gone. And then you hit into the next pace, uh, space of that. And then you sit down and you show them full MSRP with no discount. And they're like, what the heck, man? I'm not going to pay full MSRP. And then you hit them with, you know, in so many words, well, listen, it sounds like you're not ready right now, but just question while you're here, what range are you thinking, right? And then they're like, well, I wanted 200 bucks a month. Well, interestingly enough, we probably can't get there, but if I could get as close to that as possible, are you interested, do you like the Honda enough to go ahead and sign up right now? Well, well really, if you know what, if I could do 215 a month, you know, maybe, hey, listen, Mr. Customer, if I can make an exception for you right now and get you a smoking hot deal and use my clout, are you in right now? And I'm only going to do this if you're in right now. And if you're not, it's not a big deal. Not a big deal. But if you're in right now, let me see if I can make an exception for you and get you this price. And then you come back with like 230 and they're like, oh, well, I thought you said you're going to give me 215. Oh, well, we're so close. You want it, right? Yeah, I want it, right? Great. Let's settle up at 220 and then you're done. Right. And none of that would have happened if someone was like, oh, you know, well, I got to talk to my wife. I got to go drive the Toyota. Right. And I went, oh, well, you know, can we sell you a car right now? No, you really can't. You know, it, 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 what, what it was was being like, hey, not a big deal. Let's just, you know, find a, a, what we called a word track to make it easy for that person to get to the next step without going, oh, I have to buy. No, you don't. We're looking at numbers. It's not a big deal. We're going to do it together. And so that's all from statistics. Were there certain people who were maybe more responsive to that than others, or did that work really across the board? Well, as you know, in sales, different people react to different things, right? So some people are all green lights, and some people will fight you every step of the way just because. And it's, it, it's very applicable to what I do now. So for example, a bulldog is looking for a fight, right? A bulldog type negotiator is looking for a fight. And the best way to disarm them is to not fight them. Oh, I want $200 a month. Okay. Wait, what? You're not going to fight me here? Oh, I'm definitely, you know, I'm, I'm not buying today and I need you to know that. Hey, not a big deal. But you know, you're here. Give me 15 more minutes and we'll get you out the door. Oh, okay. Versus someone who's well, a little bit loggy, lollygagging, you need to push them a little bit more. Hey, come with me, follow me, we're going to do this next. You know, and, and um, yeah, so I mean, you kind of have to calibrate, engage the situation, but 
you know, different techniques work with different folks. And the only way to learn that is by doing it in scale and, and just meeting all sorts of, you know, the more beta people to the more alpha people and the, you know, the, the whole gamut of, of potential uh, customers. How, how long did it take you to, to get good at doing that? Uh, a while. Uh, and I meet a lot of folks who, who will sell a car, who will get into car sales and have a lot of success right out of the gate. And then they'll quit. And so I did it for four. I sold cars for four years. And even though right out of the gate, I sold 240 cars. I wouldn't say I, I got really good at it until maybe about two years, maybe three years. By my third full year, I didn't need a manager. I could do everything on my own. The only reason why I would get a manager is if I was grinding someone and they were grinding me. And I, I just, I hit a point where I'm like, I'm reasonably confident I'm not going to get them up maybe, maybe there's a couple more hundred dollars I can squeeze out of, out of the negotiation. And I, I know roughly where my managers will say yes. But at that point in time, you go to your manager and you're like, look, I, I, we don't have thousands left to negotiate here. We have hundreds and this is well below what you'd normally sell a car for. If you want to sell it for that, <laughs> that's on you, dude. And so I, I remember by the time I left it, I, I kept a little tracker and I was, I was closing like, geez, like 80 to 90% of my own deals. And I like, like I said, by the time I left, it was like the only reason I needed a manager was just so they could be the ones to be like, okay, Ryan did his job here. And these people are truly ridiculous and we're never going to buy a car from them. So yeah, it took a long time. It took, it took thousands of iterations. So it's not, you know, I, I may have had success out of the gate, but that was probably more because I was really enthusiastic and I worked always. (laughs) always. <laughs> yeah. So my closing percentage got better with time, but I took less opportunities than when I started out. You said that there were some things that you've taken from that, from what you learned there and applied to what you do now as well. What, what are some of the guiding principles then that you, you could pull out of that that might be relevant in, in more general business times as well? Yes. Yeah, so believe it or not, Selling cars was probably the best job I could have had out of college. And here's why. First and foremost, it was extremely humbling to go to a, a, pretty, a decently prestigious university in Wake Forest. It's not Ivy League like Harvard, but it's, it's decently close. It's a hard school to get into. But coming out and having my coworkers not even go to college, you know, barely finish high school, and, and being equals with them was exactly what an arrogant 22 year old me needed was to just get punched in the face with life. Like you are not special because you did well in school. Not at all. And that alone would have, would have made it all worth it. But it was way more than that because every step of the way you're overcoming objections, you're presenting, you're marketing, you're learning how to get yelled at and, and make and disarm someone and make them leave liking you. And that's being able to get confrontational when you need to, to push the sale, you know, through the sales funnel, but at the same time, also have them leave disarming them and and happy and warm and fuzzy is a skill that takes a long time and you have to make a lot of people mad and you have to fail a lot. And I got to tell you, I I actually had my life threatened in my current job and I talked my and negotiated my way out of it. That was a very stupid thing to do. By the way, don't ever try that at home. 
<laughs> I was really dumb for having done that. But I knew in that moment when this guy said, I'm going to come and kill you and all your employees, wow. that if there was ever a, a person, because the police were like, yeah, I'll be there in an hour. I'm like, that doesn't help me now. Like, we can't do anything because he hasn't hurt anyone yet. I'm like, that's not proactive. Wow. So I'm like, look, if there's anyone who can disarm someone and have them leaving um, happy, that's like literally what I did every day at the dealership. So, and what I do in real estate, a lot of people are like, oh, you negotiate on your deals. And it's like, dude, I negotiate every day, every day. People who are breaking the rules, I need to negotiate with them. Oh, you have an illegal dog. Let's work something. Okay. Well, can I get rid of it in a week? Well, no, it really needs to be by Monday. Well, what about in the middle of the week? Okay. Boom. There you get a little negotiation or, you know, marketing. I need to be able to have good ads online so I can attract people to the property. Um, you know, operations, car sales is, is hugely operational. And not a lot of folks realize that we get bonuses based on our surveys. So if you go in there and you don't rate us perfectly, Honda and the assorted different dealerships and, and brands will not pay you your bonus if you don't have good enough surveys. So I need to make it a good experience for you. And one great way to do that is to make it go quick. And that forces you as a salesperson to go, where's my car? Is it get, getting cleaned? I'm going to walk to the, to the detail shop and make sure it's getting clean. Let me make sure all the paperwork is here and all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed and to make sure I'm next up in line. And the finance guy has everything he needs so we can make it go quick. Right. And so you're, th and then you properly set expectations. So it's like, you know, for all my friends. So I remember some of my friends went into I banking right out of college and they were making way too much money for a 22 year old to make and I was making way less than that. However, flash forward 10 years later now that I'm 32 and a lot of those people who got into iBanking now look at me and go, wow, I wish I did what you, I could be doing what you were doing. And one of the best reasons for that, that I can do what I'm doing now is because sales taught me all of those things, including getting rejected and keep going forward and risk taking and, and all of the other things that are, are obvious like persuasion and and negotiation and marketing. Sure. You, you said you've mentioned that um, you had a, a very strong will not, not to quit and to, to be persistent. Where, where do you think that came from for you? Was that kind of like something you grew up with or something that you developed? You know, I think it's both. It's kind of the nature or nurture question, right? Like yeah. the, the reality is it's, it's both, right? You, to a certain degree, I can wake, like I woke up this morning and with a, with a, a now five month old who is basically doing one of three things, smiling at me, sleeping or absolutely screaming his lungs. out. Right. So sleep isn't, isn't necessarily on, um, you know, on the table, but I think um, the truth of the matter is genetics plays a huge part of that because I, I woke up this morning, despite getting screamed at excited for the day. Great. And my wife woke up this morning and she went, I hate everything. <laughs> I got like two hours of sleep. This thing is so adorable and I love it with all my heart. And then sometimes I'm absolutely frustrated and can't sleep. And so even though we both got very little sleep last night, um, you know, not saying that she isn't a really motivated, really talented person because she is, but for whatever bizarre reason, I just, most days I just wake up and I'm just I, I, excited and I cannot control that. That's just who I was. And even taking rejection, I go, oh, okay, on to the next one. 
So to a certain degree, that that is, there's nothing I could do differently. I just sometimes just, I'm just born with that. But that being said, like Zig Ziglar says, or, or said, is motivation is like hygiene. You You have to take a shower every day, right? You can't, you can't motivate yourself one day and yeah, you're good, right? It's, it's an everyday thing. And you can read a lot of books and talk to a lot of productivity experts and gurus and, and they will teach you how to take it to that next level. So really, it's a little bit of both. Yeah, one of the things I teach quite often with with a lot of the coaching clients I work with is about that they're not always going to be naturally excited about things and not everyone has that level of energy all the time. Great if you do, but if you don't, you have to take responsibility for generating, generating that yourself and creating your own enthusiasm and your own good mindset good positivity mindset uh, and i do believe that the start of the day is the best time for anyone to do that well yeah and, and i just want to say even even as someone who is just dumb luck that wakes up excited every day even still i benefit greatly from having spent all of that time learning how to continue to motivate myself. So even if you don't wake up excited or even if you do wake up excited, it's, it's still extremely beneficial to spend time understanding that, that motivation and, and how to deal with rejection and keep pushing forward piece. Has there been any, any particular people who've inspired or encouraged you on your journey? Oh, all the time, all the time. So I think that you always need to be looking up no matter who you are. If you're the prime minister or if you're a janitor, you always need to have someone to aspire to be. And I don't think it's fair to pick one person. I mean, there's a, a ton of people throughout history that uh, have, imp- have just it impressed me. But if I, was, if I was to have to pick one, I would probably say it's my, it's my friend Mike. Uh, he's, he's in the industry that I'm in. He's done a ton of charity work. He knows himself extraordinarily well. He knows how to motivate himself. He knows how to be, he works, he's, he, he works like 20 hours a week now that he's, he's a little older. Uh, but he's able to be extremely productive in 20 hours. And then the rest he, he focuses on his friends and family and he's outrageously successful. And he sits on the board of a college and he's done a bunch of charity work and he, he's like Susan Jeffers and feel the fear, do it anyway. You need to have different buckets that are full, right? You can't dump all your time into the family bucket and not into the career bucket and, and vice versa, right? You need to have, uh, find a way to make it evenly dispersed. And it's not easy doing that, especially in your twenties when you're not making a lot of money and you, you need to develop those skills so where I'm at now is I develop skills in my 20s and I'm starting to earn in my 30s, which is great. And, and obviously I'm starting a family and, and, and I, I'm building my friends up. But I, what I'm aspiring to be is someone like Mike who's got a really successful affordable living company and that affords him time to go and work his tail off for however long he wants to work but also have time for other things that are really important to him and make him really happy, his friends, his family, his charity work. So really, if I had to pick one person, that is, in my opinion, the model of success and happiness is to be able to be successful in more than just one bucket of your life. There, there's certainly, uh, to, to me, there's some elements of 
when, when you step out of the traditional corporate lifestyle that you have more control generally in your own life it might take a lot of work to get things set up to a level of success but then when you do you get to decide how much like you say how much do you want to give to work how much do you want to give to your family or to traveling or anything else that you any other missions or purposes that you may have in your life so i think it really does give you back a, a level of control that i think many people feel that they are lacking in the more traditional uh, working roles in life yeah i agree what, one of the one of the things that is uh, interesting to me about uh, what we've talked about and some of the things that you do is that you uh, you have some background in presenting in public speaking yeah. and um, where does that fit into to you and your life maybe professionally or just personally? Absolutely. So believe it or not, I actually when I was a teenager wanted to be a stand up comedian, and it turned out you need to be funny to make money doing that, and so, so that didn't last very long for me. But it helped me get over my fear of public speaking. And that was just invaluable because money is made and value is created in something that people either can't do or won't do. And public speaking is one of the, they used to say that it's fear and public speaking are the number one and number two most feared uh, so death and, and public speaking, and a lot of folks are would rather die than than public speak, which is which is weird. So to be able to do that is just absolutely crucial. And so for me, it fits into my business because in real estate, you really need to be on it in terms of networking, because you can develop serious competitive advantages, be it knowledge competitive advantages or capital competitive advantages or or whatever, by networking. And one big way that I network is by doing speaking gigs. So for example, I was just, I just did SECO uh, in Atlanta and I did a speaking gig about how to start with nothing because I started basically with more student loan debt than cash. So I had a pathetic amount of money to start a real estate company. And so that's a story that a lot of real estate folks want to hear. Hey, I'm 20 something. I have no experience, no network, no nothing. How did this guy do it? And so for me, I go like, I, I love helping people and I don't expect anything in return. But at the same time, there is a what's in it for me. And that what's in it for me is now my name is out there. And now people will come to me and, and I can help them. And I may help 99 people and 99 people won't help me in return, but if I can find that one who will be invaluable to me and vice versa, then going on speaking gigs and, and doing my podcast and having my YouTube videos where I help people start real estate businesses and operate just for free. I don't need anything. Like that's absolutely crucial. So it's beyond it's it, for me. I, I, I don't, I don't charge a fee to speak. I don't, I, I don't care. Because I get, the reward for me is helping others because it makes me so happy to do that and to give back. And also because I meet really cool people along the way. So it's public speaking is, is just having that skill is just absolutely invaluable. Great. I mean, the, the, that suggests, everything you said there suggests to me that your, your values are uh, very highly aligned in wanting to help and make a difference. What, what would you say are your top, your top life values? Well, family by far and away. And I think that beyond, beyond family, I think knowing yourself is extremely, I would say that's a huge uh, value and benefit 
to you as a person is to, is to really truly be able to separate the hype that surrounds you, what you think your friends and family want you to do, what you think society wants you to do, and what you actually want to do. Because if you asked me 10 years ago if I would go out and buy a mobile home park, or, or even 15 years ago when I was in high school, hey, you're, do you want to go sell cars? The answer would have been no, absolutely not. <laughs> Why would I go to school to do that or go and buy something like that? And the truth of the matter is I spent a lot of time understanding who I was as a person. And because of that, I, a, I, I could look at something and really assess it and know if it was going to make me happy long term. And like, it, it's kind of like dating in the regard that my wife and I, we both have very strong self-esteems that were built based on reality, built on being very brutally honest with ourselves. Hey, we're really good at this, but we are really awful at this. And that's okay that we're really bad at that. And because we knew each other, ourselves really well, when we met, we just, we both knew really quickly, hey, we're going to be really good fits for each other. And I know that business and relationships maybe aren't, the, it's not the best proxy for it, but there's a, it, there's a lot of similarities there. If I bought really expensive stuff to pretend like I was rich and I attracted someone who was genuinely attracted to wealth and only to figure out three months later that I'm broke and up to dead up into my eyeballs, like that you're, you're, you're not, you don't understand yourself and you're leading someone on to eventually discover that you're not good fits for each other. And that's true for business too, because it's really easy to be like, Oh wow, I can make a lot of money in Bitcoin or uh, online marketing or whatever, whatever. And you don't really truly know that you're chasing the wrong thing. So that, that by far and away, and then, and then giving back, I would say it's, it's, it's gotta be a top three value for me. And, and the reason why is because what truly makes me happy is having meaning and purpose in my life. And like Viktor Frankl talks about it in, in his books, uh, you have to find meaning and purpose. Otherwise you'll quit and, and you'll stop. Like, like you mentioned earlier, Oh, you know what, what do you think motivates you every day beyond, you know, do, do you think there's, you know, activities and habits that you have to keep you motivated? Yes, I do. And there's also a bigger, a cause bigger than me that also really truly helps me get through every day. And so having that for me, a really clear defined mission statement for me is just, I want to leave the world a better place for having been here. And if I can, you know, so if I can take that mission statement, which is very specific and action it every single day by either helping people go help people or helping people directly myself, that is to me, when I have a bad day, gets me through that bad day and, and helps me wake up excited the next day. So those three, family, knowing yourself and and giving back and expecting nothing in return are just by far and away the probably my, my top three values uh, that I espouse in my life. Fantastic. I, I think they're, they're very worthy and admirable values. And uh, in terms of service and contribution, um, I am a big believer that most people really underestimate their ability to be able to make a difference in other people's lives so that, that they have any worth themselves that's anything that's worth offering or giving back to other people. And yet it's uh, probably uh, what I encounter in years of coaching work is that many people are um, maybe sad, maybe even uh, to a point of um, being, being depressed or, or even despair because they feel that they don't have 
uh, worth and value and they don't have meaning in their life and that you actually have to create that meaning yourself and I really do think giving back and contribution is is the best way to do that and having you know like, like yourself was very inspired by reading Man's Search for Meaning and Viktor Frankl but, um, and many other uh, many others people in the personal development psychology world talk about that finding your flow or finding your your best state is that having a purpose is bigger bigger than you and I, I think that has to come from being being of service uh, to, yeah. a, to a greater service so that really that really speaks to me and uh, I really appreciate you sharing that with us as well yeah. what's the what's the best feedback you've ever been given oh man that's it's hard it's always hard to pick one but if I had to if I had to pick one time it was my friend Wendy maybe about maybe five five six seven years ago i remember we were sitting in her minivan and she said ryan you just you dress awful (laughs) you just look horrendous and she was trying to coach me this is before i met my wife she's trying to coach me into being better with girls and you know we're sitting down and i'm like you know, I don't understand. Like I, I, I can't meet anyone. It's, it's hard to meet people. And the thing is, you know, am I not likable? And she's like, you're likable. Are you not, am I ugly? She's like, you're not ugly. I'm like, you know, am I not putting myself out there enough? She's like, Ryan, what is your theory on dressing? I was like, well, people will see beyond my facade and my crappy clothing and will see what's in my heart. And she's like, no, you dress like crap and you look awful. And that sends all the wrong signals. And as much as you'd like to think that people aren't shallow, they are. Get And you are too. Get over it. And I remember having just, it felt like the wind knocked out of me when I heard that. And I, and I remember that fondly, even though it was a really tough feedback to hear. Mm. Because my reaction to that, the natural reaction to hearing that would be to get defensive and be like, that's not true. You know, F you something mean, go on the offensive. But my reaction to that was, you know what? That's exactly what I needed to hear. And as much as I don't like that, guess what? Now I can go and fix the problem because the problem was I deluded myself into really truly understanding what the issue was. And so then her and I, and and to a certain degree, that was just an excuse to take me shopping because she really (laughs) wanted to go and buy clothes. And it's an excuse to have your friend go with you and to dress them up, right? So to a certain degree, there's there's an ulterior motive there from her perspective. But from my perspective, that was a really pivotal moment for a lot of reasons. But primarily, looking back on that moment, I'm proud that I reacted by going, I don't need to be right. I don't need to save face. I just need to know what the right answer is. So I say that all the time to my employees and to my business partner and my investors. Like, dude, I, you can blame me if something goes wrong. Even if like the computer crashed, great. That's Ryan's fault because he should have done X, right? Like, I don't care. You can blame me. And here's why. Because it's really easy to be defensive and to shield your own ego. And it's really easy to miss really obvious stuff in front of your face. 
And it's like, if you have to make fun of Ryan or blame Ryan or call him a, a mean, nasty name, but then you know what the problem is and now you can fix it. Great. I don't care. We got the right answer. And so for me, the reason why that moment was so important is because everything else in my life, to my best of my abilities, I have tried my best to fight being defensive and to fight deluding myself. So even if I look like a moron, I can get to the right answer. And honestly, seven years later, however many years later it is, I look back on that moment that was awful and I laugh. So it's actually not that big of a deal. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It's a, it's a moment yeah. of pride. It's, it's, to me, is the difference between a, a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. Right? Exactly. The, the fixed mindset thinks that that kind of criticism is taking something away from you, whereas the growth mindset says, I can learn something here and we can improve because of this and that life can be better with this feedback. And that's uh, definitely a much healthier thing. It can be hard to take that kind of feedback sometimes, but it's definitely worthwhile to have that ability to be able to look at it in the perspective of this is an opportunity for growth not uh, not taking something away from me or meaning that i'm less than who i am one thing that uh, was very clear in in our initial chat together was it was how important your mission to inspire other people is and when, when did you when did you first realize how important that was for you you know it took a long time uh from a young age i knew i wanted to help people but it took a lot of iterations of to realize that true difference can be made in scale. So for example, my favorite thing to do charity wise is to help kids get their education because I grew up with a learning disability, but I grew up with very patient parents who had enough money to get me tutors and medication and treatment and therapy and everything. So I could overcome my learning disability. And I remember as a teenager, I think I was 16 years old, I went to volunteer tutoring an underprivileged child and there's nothing wrong with her, nothing. And we were doing her pre-algebra homework and she just had this moment, this like eureka, like, oh my gosh, like this, in so many words, this follows a logistical pattern? Like two plus X equals three, X equals one? Like... I didn't, I thought you just wrote stuff down on the page. I was like, no, like everything, you know, if that's the the math is literally the study of the the science of patterns. It's, it absolutely follows a logistical pattern. And this girl was, this little girl was mesmerized by this. And then she, we just crushed through her, her algebra homework after that because she started seeing it differently. And then she asks me, is, is science class like this too? And I'm like, yes, everything. Academia is based on a flow of logic. Everything is. And she was just mesmerized by this. And then, you know, we started doing her her science homework. And and it was like out of Hollywood. And in that moment, I realized I'm really not a good teacher. Like as exciting as this is, it's actually really sad. And here's why. Because I'm not a good teacher. I'm a 16-year-old. What do I know? This girl just doesn't have anyone in her life to give her this attention with her homework. That's it. No one like, yeah, her parents probably really care about her a lot, but they, they probably work three jobs and aren't there by choice or maybe not by choice. And that's actually really sad. And from my perspective, I went, this girl is, is easy to teach. All she needs is, is just a sliver of attention. 
what about someone like me? I needed medication. I needed tutors. I needed therapy. I needed all of this patience and money. What would I have become if I was in her shoes? Because she's getting literally zero attention, right? And so from my perspective, I, I realized like the like Tupac, uh, his song, Brenda Got a Baby. The gist of that song is you can only ignore a Brenda for so long before she affects the entire community, right? So in other words, if someone like me growing up didn't have the parents and the, and the upbringing that I had, there's a good chance I would have used all my potential to go right into crime and to make a neighborhood less safe. And so for me, and that took a long time to really discover. And so the way I kind of attacked this problem that really meant a lot to me was, well, why not I just volunteer my time? But then the problem with that is you're, 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 you can only tutor for so many hours in a day and you can only affect so many children being one-on-one. So what I realized is through studying and picking up psychology, what I realized is removing stress from parents' lives and removing bad influences in, in this child's neighborhood will actually allow it, it. It's like planting seeds in a nicer garden. So in other words, to get into when I, when mobile home parks presented themselves to me and affordable housing, real estate presented itself to me, I went, Oh my gosh, this is it because my skill set matches it, but my charity matches it because I can literally have thousands of people living in my communities that I'm dedicated to keep safe, clean. I have a college, partial college scholarship. I pay for college applications. I do free food giveaways, Bible studies, Zumba classes, all this stuff to help remove the stress that the parents feel and to get drug dealers and violent people out so I can have a better kind of garden for these kids to, to grow up in. And not only that, help put them through school. So in other words, I can start affecting things in scale but and so in other words, it's not just me one on one. But then what I realized probably in the last year or two is that even that has its limits. Where I can really affect positive change on a bigger scale is to put myself out there, make it like give people value, right? Like here are all my secrets in real estate. Literally, go to my website. I have tons of blog posts and videos and a podcast where I am just giving secrets away. And the reason I'm doing that is because I want people, number one, to, to be able to chase their dreams and, and escape corporate, you know, the corporate realm, but also to then be inspired to give back. So in other words, if I go out and I don't expect anything return and I'm not selling anything or raising any money, but I'm, I'm lifting people up, my hopes and dreams with doing that is my words will inspire others to go out and help people. And that those, my words will help inspire and help out way more than just what I'm able to do one-on-one or within my communities. That's fantastic. And what what's your, what's your vision for, for the future? And what, what do you want things to look like from, from doing this kind of thing? You know, I, I just, I, I hope my phone keeps ringing and, and the emails keep coming in and, and, the, and the, the questions and the, hey, can you help me with this? And the, hey, I, I got, let me run this by you. And I hope it keeps coming in because right now I put myself out there and, and I say I'm an open door. It's it, like Tupac. I'm a big fan of Tupac if you haven't been able to tell. <laughs> I ain't hard to find. Right. And I'm literally, to my knowledge, the only Ryan Neris in the world. 
And if you Google me, you connect with me on LinkedIn, I will help you. And I, my vision for this is I continue to talk to inspiring, awesome people like you and, you know, hopefully give you and your listeners value, but it, it gets my words out there. So people come to me for help. And again, I'm not selling anything, not, I don't need anything. If I can just help inspire you, I, I hope at 32 years old, when I'm hopefully get to live to 82 years old or beyond that in 50 years from now, I can just have a, a wonderful funnel of people who go, you know what? You are one part in a grand journey of mine, but you are a pivotal one part in my journey to go out there and, and chase my dreams and help others along the way. And I thank you for being a pivotal one part. Obviously, there's a ton of work and a ton of other things that they have to do. I don't want to take all the, any really much credit at all. Just if, if I can help in scale, a lot of people find that inspiration and find the courage to quit their jobs and chase their dreams. And in, in scale, that's how I see this going and, and hopefully over decades. Well, one thing I, I see a lot is that people tend to think that this all sounds good, but I can't do it. It's not really for me. What, what would you say to people who think that they wouldn't be able to make some kind of success in their life or even inspire others? Yeah, I, I would say nothing good comes easy. And if it was really worth your time, it wouldn't be easy. And the thing is, if you want to, like I said earlier about the 1%, you know, you, you can't not put effort into being in the 1%. And unless you're 1% lucky, it's not just going to happen. And it took me a long time to get to where I am today. I was having dinner with one of my investors last night and he was, you know, we were talking and he was like, you know, when we go and pitch banks now for better debt terms, you can point to your website and all this other stuff, but really more importantly, you can point to the fact that you've been doing it successfully for five years right? So it took a long time just to get my business where it is today. But it took a long time to figure out that was the business I wanted to get into. And it took a long time. It took two years, two full years before I could go full time. And that was with a lot of luck too, uh, to be able to quit and go full time. And it took, it took a year to prove that the business worked and then a year to plan to quit my job to go full time. So what I'll tell the listeners is, no excuses. I, I had no money. I had no experience. I had no network. I had no business starting a business, especially something capital intensive like real estate. I had no business doing it, but I found a way because I also had no excuses. And I also had patience. And like Heidi Halverstadt says in her book, Motivation, the people who are generally speaking continually successful are those who go, it's going to be hard, but I'm going to do it. Not people who are going, who go, it's going to be easy and I'm going to do it. Not people who go, oh, I can't do this. The people who are successful are the people who go, this is going to be really hard, but I have what it takes to do it. So if you're listening in, oh, I can't, I've got kids, I've got this, I've got that. You, you need to ask a really tough, like the Wendy story I told you earlier, where she just utterly destroyed me. <laughs> you need to have the courage to ask yourself if you are investing in a sunk cost. For me, it was really hard quitting a car, a decently lucrative car uh, career that I'd spent four years in and countless hours in. It was really hard to leave the lifestyle that I had developed with the money I was making. And, and then it was really hard to quit my job and take a 50%, over a 50% pay cut on my salary and lose all my benefits to go and work for myself. 
But the word sacrifice, if you literally Google the word sacrifice, in so many words, what it means is you give up something valuable. So inherently, sacrificing is going to be really painful, but it's not going to be easy. It's going to take years, and you need to understand that and mentally come to that conclusion. And then you just need to realize all you have to do is start putting time in. You are not that busy that you can't devote 15 minutes a day to something important to you. And just real quick before we jump onto the next question, I love Duolingo. It's a free app that teaches. I am not getting paid. I like, to say I like this. it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. I am at 913 days in a row. And it's, I don't, I, I, I would say my Spanish is bastante, which means enough. Funciona. It works. Mm-hmm. The reason why I say that is, it is my life goal to be bilingual, and I realized it's better to spend 15 minutes a day for almost a thousand days in a row than to go really hard at it for a month and then never do it again. And if if you really care about something, if you if you go, oh, I can't do it because I got kids, I got this that, and the other thing, make it like my Duolingo. Find a way to find 15 minutes a day to go towards a goal. And it's not going to be quick. It's going to go like this. It's going to be flat, 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 boom. And all of a sudden, it's going to explode. And you're going to feel like you're getting nowhere and you plateaued. And then it's going to explode. All because you found a way, whether it's you just booked it on your schedule or you you have an app like Duolingo that gets in your face when you don't do it. Mm-hmm. You have to find, you have to make a habit and make time every day to, to chase it. Well, I, I love that because uh, there, is, there have been so many people out there teaching, anyone can have success and you can make it really easy. It's like, you know what? It takes a, a lot of work to create success and you may have to go through some failures. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be challenging. Otherwise, it's pointless. Otherwise, if it wasn't challenging, anyone could do it. There's going to be challenges. It's going to help you grow and you're going to become someone different someone you can become a bigger better person because of it and and so i love that you're saying you're gonna have to persist with it and make the commitments make the sacrifices but it it can be worth it you just have to stick with it and stay persistent and and consistent those are important messages not ones that everyone wants to hear but that's the reality of creating success right yeah there there is power in habits for sure for sure great what if if any is there any questions that you would have liked to have been asked today there's there's a lot of different ways we can we can go with this too i think one of my favorite questions is why do you give away your secrets for free online are you afraid you're building up your competition and i love that question because it's true i am building up my competition I know plenty of people who have taken my business model and gone and applied it and have been successful. But my argument is they're going to do that anyway. If you ever study any type of business, there is no such thing as a blue ocean. It doesn't, or at least if you find a blue ocean, it's, it's like finding arbitrage. It's not, it's, it's not going to last. Yeah. Eventually it will become a red ocean. And so for me, if my competition is, is going to be there anyway, and I'm going to compete anyway, what I would like to do as a thought leader in my space is I would like to go out there and give people a reason to listen to me, which is, here's a bunch of free stuff. <laughs> That's going to make you better, right? But as you are 
imbibing the the free stuff I'm giving out there, you're also getting a perspective of while you're doing this, help others. Go make your communities better. It will make you a better business person because your clients aren't your investors. Your clients are the people living on your communities. So for me, if I can go out there and, and inspire people and tell people it's going to be hard, but you can do it. It's going to be hard. It's going to take years, but it's worth it. If I lose out on, on a property I really want to my competition, but my competition is someone who has, the, has their mind in the right spot and their heart towards helping people, I will lose that all day long and not think twice about it over some private equity firm that is, is concerned with an IRR and nothing else. So that's, that's probably one of my favorite questions to get asked. So the answer to that is yes, I am training my competition, but they're going to be there anyway. And hopefully I can inspire people to go and do some good even when I lose to them. Fantastic. I love it. I'm sure many of the listeners were going to, are going to want to know how they can find out more about you and maybe even your podcast as well. So how, what's the best way for people to find out more about you? By far and away, LinkedIn. Like I said, like Tupac, I ain't hard to find. I My last name is Naris. It's spelled N-A-R-U-S. That's N like Nancy. And like I said, to, to my knowledge, I'm the only Ryan Naris in the world. If you Google me, it's the first thing that shows up is my LinkedIn. Um, I don't care who you are. Unemployed or the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, I would love to meet you. I would love to help you in any way. I don't expect a thing in return. Um, if you are interested in real estate or mobile home parks, my, my podcast is called Mobile Home Parks in Real Life. It's very raw. It's not sexy. It's pretty much here is how it's done. Take it or leave it. If you really want to grow a business, here's vegetables. I'm not selling smoothies or candy bars. I'm selling straight vegetables. And if you really want to be healthy, this is what you consume. And whether you are trying to get into mobile home parks or real estate or even just find out how I went from literally just riddled with student loan debt in my 20s with no experience and no nothing and how I scaled it up to, well, what do I do if I want to start a business but my significant other hates it? Because my second episode, I basically give the microphone to my wife and I said, two rules, no bad words. <laughs> And, and, and don't say anything that you would regret, right? In so many words. And for like 10 minutes, she just absolutely makes fun of me and says everything I've done wrong ever. <laughs> <laughs> but then the last five minutes of a, about a 15 minute long episode, we have a wonderful conversation about the hardships that we went through as a couple, start, me starting my business and not knowing if it was going to work and taking out recourse debt over our heads. And I got to tell you, it doesn't matter what you're starting. What if you, it, We had a conversation about marriage told through the lens of entrepreneurship. And if you have a, a significant other that is not into what you are doing, it doesn't matter if it's real estate or selling widgets or starting or writing a computer code, that is an absolutely wonderful conversation to listen to and listen to with your significant other. So even if you're not into mobile home parks or real estate or or anything, there's there's some serious value there. And, and like I said, I don't care who you are or where you are. I am utterly happy to help you in any way, shape, or form. 
that's fantastic. Well, I'm going to be checking out that conversation myself. <laughs> I can certainly relate to that experience, but great. Uh, Ryan, it's, it's been really wonderful chatting with you and uh, I, I can vouch for that. I Googled you myself and you're very easy to find online. Uh, <laughs> lots of good information about you. So uh, I do actively encourage listeners to go and check out your podcast and find out more about you as well and to, to get in touch with you as well. Uh, very open guy, a very great desire to help other people which is really inspiring and and it's been a, a real honor to have you as a guest on the show john it's been an honor to be here and you as well are very inspiring and uh, it's always good when you talk to someone like-minded so thank you so much for having me i really enjoyed it i honestly appreciate it and wish you every continued success for your vision of the future as well it's been wonderful thanks again thank you ryan <laughs>